reading from Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. I um, want to tell you something this morning. And um, did you know? And this might be this might be a bit of a revelation for you. But did you know that I am an amazing soccer player? I don't know if I like the laugh or not. My ball skill is unmatched. I'm probably the best striker ever seen. I can kick a curveball right around the goalie into the goal. I can defend like no one you've ever seen. I'm lightning fast. I'm super flexible. Ambidextrous. I can kick right, left foot. doesn't really matter. Whatever. I can duck and weave amazingly. Did I say that I was fast? I said that I was fast, didn't I? I did. Actually, my soccer skills don't have any weak areas. I'm a weapon. After all this boasting, you might want to ask me what team I play for. Johan's wondering if he can sign me up right now. (laughs) Well, actually, I'm not into organized soccer. I don't play in any team. I just play alone in my front yard. A pathetic response, right? (laughs) How could I possibly claim to be a superstar soccer player on par with people like Ronaldo and uh, Wade Decker? and not play on a team. How could I do that? It's crazy. In order to be a great player and showcase all of my skill, I need to play on a team. I need to invest (coughs) in a team. You know, in the same way, Christianity can't be lived out by just reading the Bible, um, rocking up to church all the time, listening to worship music and uh, praying by yourself choosing the odd event to go to. Christianity also is not a solo sport like fishing. It's a team sport like soccer. And the local church is the team. And to be on the team, it requires active participation and partnership. 
And we're talking about partnership this morning. It's the way that we please the heart of God by partnering with a local church that itself is partnering in the gospel work. If there is no partnership, there is no church because we were designed to do this in partnership with the gospel and together. And if there's no partnership and there's no investment, there's no team, then there's merely a social club that happens to meet on Sundays. And that's not what we are. In our reading in Philippians, Paul writes a letter to one of his favourite churches. And in the first 11 verses, he outlines why he's so thankful for them. Why he's so excited about them. See, Wade's leaving now because he's threatened. (laughs) It's all right, mate. I won't tell them at Melbourne City. You're still in, you know. He's not really. He's faster than me. But Paul talks to the Philippians and and he writes a letter to tell them why he's so thankful for them, why he's so excited about them. And what's the reason he's so thankful? He's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. He talks about, you know, I, I pray with joy for you because of your partnership in the gospel. And the word partnership here is, is a Greek term you might have heard before, and many of you might have heard this, and that's that word koinonia. And it's a word that can be translated to mean fellowship. And when we think fellowship, we think, you know, coffee, cookies, conversation, you know, Bible study and all that sort of stuff. And they do have their place. But the true meaning in the Greek that Paul uses it actually has commercial overtones. Two men bought a fishing business. If they did that, they were said to be in koinonia, a formal business partnership. They shared a common vision and they invested together to see that it would become reality, this business. So they had koinonia, and that's how Paul's using the word koinonia in the original Greek here. True Christian fellowship, true partnership, means sharing the same vision of getting the gospel to the world, then investing personally to see that it happens. Taking your place, being a partner, investing personally to see that it happens. So there are financial overtones in koinonia as well as a call to personal sacrifice. When Paul thanks God for their partnership, he's thanking God that from the very start, these guys, from the moment he walked into Philippi, they rolled up their sleeves and they got involved in every way. And in terms of the Philippians' partnership, there's three things Historically, when you look at Philippians and when you read about Philippians, there's three things that Paul is really thankful for and he wants to encourage them in. And these are the things that he considers makes them excellent partners of the gospel. And the first one is that they were hospitable. These guys were hospitable. Partners in the gospel are hospitable people. From the moment Paul entered the city... The first time, they showed outstanding hospitality. You can read the story of that if you ever read Acts 16. You'll see when he walked into Philip, when he came into Philippi. There were no Christians in the city. It was a a Roman city with no Christians, not even enough Jews to hold a synagogue. There was no synagogue. So he met by the river, just outside of the city walls, mostly with women at these prayer meetings. And he was promptly invited by a lady named Lydia. You might remember her to use her house for anything he wanted. And for the weeks and the months he was there, 
uh, in and out of prison because he was imprisoned a few times in there. Her house became the place for the followers, the partners in the gospel, to meet together. It became a place of blessing for Paul and many, many others in the challenge of being a believer in Philippi. Partners in the gospel are hospitable. They want to see the gospel advance by using what they have and who they are to encourage and to make it happen. So that was the first thing. The second thing that he was wanting to focus on is they were courageous. He found them really courageous. Partners in the gospel are courageous. The Philippians had to pay a huge price in their culture to become Christians, and they paid it willingly. Philippi had special government status. They, had a, they were a kind of a special uh, sit, city that the emperor loved. But what it, what it meant was the people that lived in Philippi had to worship the emperor as God in order to be politically correct. The Philippian Christians paid a huge price by refusing to do so. They were courageous. Paul says later in Philippians, you had to go through some of the stuff that I've had to go through the suffering because of your partnering with the gospel. And yet, you stood firm in partnership, in fellowship with us. It wasn't easy being a Christian then, 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago. And it isn't now. And it's not going to get any easier. The Philippians were hospitable. They were courageous. But probably the final and most important characteristic out of the three And perhaps the primary purpose for Paul's letter, and you can tell this by he opens with this whole thing and in chapter 4 he finishes with reminding him of that whole thing. Probably the primary purpose for Paul's letter was that the Philippians were generous with their limited resources. Partners in the gospel are generous. The Philippian Christians, even though they were challenged economically, and they were, consider being second-rate citizens because you didn't bow before the emperor um, and all of, the, all of the implications of that. The Philippian Christians, even though they were challenged economically, they gave generously to Paul and his mission. In fact, Paul would say that they gave sacrificially. They made commitments and they stuck to them. They said, this is what we're going to do, Paul, no matter where you are, no matter what happens to you, this is our pledge and we're sticking to it. They were the only group that gave consistently and sacrificially to Paul and the work of the Lord for the 10 years leading up to this letter. Even when Paul was away working in other churches, and you'll see when he was in the Thessalonian church, when he was here, they still funded him. They still gave to him. They still made sure that he was generously catered for. So Paul isn't writing to them to get them to continue or to crick up the giving But he really sees their reward in giving. He says in chapter 4, verse 17, if you want to have a look at it later, he says, you know, I don't seek the gift, but I I seek the profit that you will receive that increases in your account with Christ Jesus. A good showing at the judgment seat of Christ, he says. And when you think of partnership, and and we've talked about partnership this morning, and, and Pete happened to read that this morning, and that was not a setup, was it, Pete? In the same way, we need to see the importance of generous financial giving. A large part of koinonia, of partnership, is sharing our earthly resources with others for the sake of Christ. Partnership in the gospel 
is a large part of that is is sharing what we have. When we say we're partnering, or when we say we're part of a church community, this is a key way that we live that out. It's a key way that we're commanded to live that out. The things that God has given us, the, the, the resources that God has given us, we're commanded to use them and partner with others in the gospel. And remember, you can't outgive God. Verse 6 is a, is a good teller, and, and he says, you know, God will bring this to completion. God called you to be generous, and he called you to give, and he will meet your needs so that you can continue to give. If God calls you to give, he will make sure that you can. In, in my case, I always worry about, well, will I have enough? I, I think God said to do this, but, but I don't. You know, if God calls you to give, Paul is saying, you know, God will continue to bring it to completion. So we need to learn and continue to learn how to and decide what to give and stick to the commitment. I was thinking this week when in, in terms of you know, and m- m- giving to the church, and I can remember as a kid, my father um, worked at uh, the SEC. And on Thursday, and every night he would get home, and my mother would have a coffee and a piece of that Dutch cook that they used to make, and they would have a, you know, they would have a coffee together. But Thursday nights was payday, and my dad would bring his envelope home, which had his pay in that. Now I, you know, anything paper looked big to me, you know, I thought it was big money. But I can still remember them sitting there, and the first thing they did is they counted out, and Mum would take one part, and she would go to her bedroom, and we kids knew there was a jar next to her jumpers, you know. And she would put the money in there. That was for the church. Then they would go back and have a look at their bills for the week and see what they were doing. I never, ever forgot that. I never, ever forgot the regularity and the decision-making in that. You know, likewise, when we were uh, in living overseas and our children started to get, Sue and I, our children started to get allowances, you know, we, we said to them, you know, look, if you're getting two euros, we, we need you to put 20 cents aside. Not because the 20 cents made a difference, because I wanted that impact of that regularity to affect them in the same way. We need to learn how to give. We need to learn what to give and stick to our commitment. You know, as a father and maybe as a mother, as parents, we sit down with our children and we talk to them about, you know, when they get married and, you know, should they, you know, what's a good investment strategy? What's a good career choice? You know, what should you do? Um, you know, should you buy a block of land? What's a good way to set yourself up? How many of us parents sit down with our kids at that key point in their life and say, okay, let's talk about your future kingdom investment strategy. What is that? We don't do that, but it's quite logical for us to sit down and answer the other questions and talk with them. So we need to learn how to do that, how to build that in to say, this is what it is to be a partner with the gospel and this is just as important. And believe me, we will and do see God's blessing when we give. You know, I could stand up here for the next half hour and tell you stories uh, just in our life and I'm sure you've got them of the blessings you see when you give generously when things happen. I want to digress a little bit here and I want you to give me a bit of space to do that because we're currently in our church now, we're looking at this next year's ministry statement. You know what that is, we'll, we have meetings coming up and you'll receive them and those of you that have been here for a while know what our ministry statement is. It's our, our budget but we call it a statement of ministry. And for what we do as a church, it is by far, by far not a big budget at all. Now, I confess, when it comes to financial stuff in the leadership meetings, I'm handicapped. I'm the one who sits there looking at the paper as we're all talking about it and say, hang on, wait, what, uh, what, what's that? What? Oh, they've had that about five minutes ago. They're way beyond that by now, and I'm still trying to figure it out. 
But as deficient as I might be in understanding many of those charts and terms and numbers and how this works and how that works, there's a couple of stats, there's a few statistics that I do understand clearly. And from a discipleship, partnership perspective, they bother me a little bit. I want to be upfront and honest with you here. I'm going to share them with you. I want to share these statistics with you. Right now in our church, number one, 79% of our income is provided by 21% of our partners. That means 79% of our partners are providing just 21% of our income. Now, in case you're wondering, we do not have an 80-20 mix of 80% students and 20% earners. We don't. We know that. So statistic one is 79% of our income is provided by 21% of our partners. Statistic number two, after voting on it and committing to it, we're consistently at least 10% shy of what we need. So hence we have these catch-up offerings or what do we call them? Bridge the gap. We have uh, these sorts of things. And statistic number three, our actual amount received is usually 10% less than pledged or promised. What that means is people that are pledging are not doing it. They're not following through. And Paul talked to the Philippians about, you know, even committing, even when it's hard, you keep doing it. You did what you said you were going to do. Now, this church is a sporting church, and I know that the analogy won't be lost on us when I ask what happens when only some of the team actually give their best as much as they can. I know that you get that. In a game of soccer or in a game of football, I know, what you, I know you know what happens when only some of the team give their best or as much as they can. The game or the series of the competition isn't won. The goal isn't achieved if you want to get to the finals. You see, it takes everyone to make a significant contribution. In a team, non-contributors are soon weeded out. And this might seem hard to you from the front here, but in churches too, and even in this one, we have spectators, those that don't contribute what they can. Spectators will celebrate the win, but they don't share in the workload. That's a, a, that's a truth in a game, and it's a truth anywhere. And let me say again, we don't have a huge budget. Minds that are way more skilled than mine in this area suggest that we should, with the families and situations we have, we should easily be able to overshoot our ministry statement by a good, good margin. And this year we need to see a 7% increase in last year's giving in order for us not to be that 10% under that we always are. You know, for me, that's, for Sue and I, that's probably 10 bucks a week, 7%. $10, dollars a week. We can do that. I'm convinced of that. But it takes us all. And all includes you, not just me or the leadership. It won't work if we don't take partnership in this area seriously. Or if we decide to let others carry that part, part of partnership and we float along. You know, all this might surprise you, might confront you, it might challenge you. And I know, in fact, we know as a church that it's never an exact science. We know that there are many circumstances and issues, valid circumstances and issues, that can and do affect our personal situation. 
but it would be wrong of us as a church and of leadership to ignore a consistent pattern. It would be wrong of us as individuals not to check ourselves. We know that situations change and that people are... We know that we're aware of that, so we can't apply these, we can't apply these percentages um, legalistically. But when we see a consistent pattern, it would be wrong of us as a church not to address that, and as leaders not to address it, as unpopular as it is. And I know that it's an unpopular subject to speak on publicly. I know that it's not popular to preach on. But I'm convinced, this week as I'm thinking about it, I am convinced that this too is God's terrain. It's not ours. It's not the leadership terrain. This is God's terrain. And I'm convinced that this too is a context in which we're called to live out our obedience, every one of us, to Him. Tim Keller, we love Tim Keller. Glenn loves Tim Keller. I think that's all he has on his car, um, on his podcasts. Tim Keller said this, A lack of generosity is a refusal to acknowledge that your assets are not really yours, but God's. However, Paul goes on in Philippians to encourage them by saying that the good work that they've started, now think about, read, good work, obedience, sacrificial giving in spite of their circumstances, that that good work, that God would bring it to completion. He will stand with us. God will support us. God will provide where we live generously where we live sacrificially, where we answer the call to live the way that He's called us to live, to partner with His body the way that He's called us to. God will stand with us. Guys, partnership is a privilege. We're privileged people. We, we, we love the privilege of this. We love the privilege of sharing in the fellowship of Christ with His death and resurrection and that eternal life is ours. We love the privilege of, of being part of a fellowship that, that, that's lively and that, that loves Jesus and that, that gives us that support and, and we can have someone praying for us when we're sick and, and visiting us when we're struggling. And that's all part of partnership. Partnership is a great privilege and we love that privilege. We are privileged people. But there's also genuine joy in being generous. Have you ever done that? Have you ever kind of really answered someone's need and, and gone and done it and walked away thinking, wow, that, that was really great to do. I really, I, I felt like I was just in the right spot doing that. You see, our giving might have a greater effect than we ever, ever realize you know, for example, our support of one missionary or, or one ministry worker or one pastor or one project might well begin a spiritual avalanche as one impacted life sets off another impacted life and then that one another one and you may never know what your generosity does. Who can calculate the millions of lives the Philippians impacted over the centuries as God kept their deposit earning interest? Who knows? It's God's work from the beginning to the end. He's simply looking for channels, you and I, to begin the work through many, in many different places. You know, again, guys, these words can be encouraging, they can be motivating, but they can be confronting and annoying. But how is God speaking to you today? 
in the next few weeks, you'll all be part of setting the direction of One Hope's ministry in terms of finances. Whether you're old or you're young, whether you're a big earner or a small earner, whether you're a long-term One Hoper or your brand new partner, seven of them this morning, please take your call to partnership in this church community seriously in this respect. Please choose to be a significant and generous part of our work for God with the resources that God has given you. Please take your place as a partner in seeing this church community become a transforming influence around this community and in the world. Guys, we share in an incredible inheritance, eternal life. <laughs> we just celebrated that this morning. Partnership has an incredible privilege of eternal life. And we're hugely blessed. And there is so much to be thankful and excited by in being partners in the work of the gospel and even in this church. I'm excited by the things that we're doing in the church. The Tuesdays that we, we have meals in the evening, our family dinners and hearing from many parts of the church community, the youth work, watching OER News, seeing the young adults in action. I'm excited by so many of the things in the church, our children's ministry. I'm a partner in that, and that's a privilege. We share in an incredible inheritance. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much we receive. And there are opportunities and responsibilities to contribute who we are and what we have to that. Each one of you today, we have a new opportunity. And in the next month, in the next few weeks or so, we have a new opportunity, a unique way to say, this is what I can do to see that happen. I am going to trust that God is going to carry that on to completion that I will do what He called me to do despite my circumstances and that He will cover me and support me. Let's share fully in what God has called us to do. I would love to get up here halfway through next year and uh, quote statistics, ones that I understand, that are so, so opposite to what I just quoted. To say, you know, we've got this abundance and we're thinking of having a party with the community, you know, because we've got money left over. We're going to send Glenn off for it. No, we're not. He's already gone for a bit. But you know what? I mean? That would be such an awesome thing to sort of say, you know what? This is what we needed. We, we felt like this is what we needed. The leaders sat down and worked this out. And guys, it's conservative. We're working hard to make sure it's not abundant, uh, overabundant. Wouldn't it be great to sort of say, oh, God's blessed us that much. We've got room to spare. What could we do? Who can we bless? How can we extend ourselves? How can we partner in the work of the gospel? Wouldn't that be cool? I can't hear you. Wouldn't that be cool? I think that'd be really cool. And I, I would love it. And I will take that sermon. I want that Sunday when that happens. Scotty, let me know when it happens. Now, let's believe it happens in faith. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that there are so many things that we can celebrate. We just thank you that there are so many things that you've done for us. And we say yes and amen to all of them. Lord, when we worship, we, the songs that we sang this morning, we were full of praise for the things that you, the person that you are and what you did for us. And Lord, we're so privileged to be part of so many good things. Lord, we're so privileged to be part of this church community too, Lord. We're so privileged that you allowed us to, to be part of a supportive community, a community that's busy um, making work of what you've called us to do. And Lord, sometimes if I confess, I'm less excited of the privilege of giving financially. 
because I kind of like stuff. But God, I pray this morning, even in my life and in our lives, Lord, that we would be just as excited about the privilege of giving and just as determined to see that our partnership is just as influential in that area as well. Lord, that we would do what we can to see the kingdom grow and come through our work here at One Hope Community Church. God, and I pray that as we ponder it, Lord, as we, we've received the letter from the, the resource team, as we look at that pledge slip, and as we consider what it is that we're going to do this year, Lord, allow us not just to put a figure there, but to know that we're going to stick with that and we will do it. But Lord, show us what we can do. Allow us to be gener- generous. Lord, we know that you are more generous than we will ever be. And we thank you for that. Lord, as you take us on a journey as a church, as a a bunch of partners together, God, we pray, I pray, that all we do would bring glory to you and that what we live for is you and it's about you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.